Okay, let's, uh, let's jump into the Word, and um, I've got something to read off my phone before that. Um, speaking about, this is very anti-Semitic, and it's going to be upsetting, okay? I'll tell you that right from the get-go. And there are words here I don't normally say. Uh, speaking of Jewish people, okay? They are full of, in quotes, the devil's feces, which they wallow in like swine. Uh, the synagogue was a, uh, uh, again, quotation, defiled bride. Yes, an incorrigible whore and an evil... There's another word for whore, and I don't, I'm not even comfortable saying whore, but this word, it won't get me bounced off the radio, but it's not something I'm going to say to you. I'm just not going to, but... You are smart people, you know. He argues that their synagogues and schools be set on fire, their prayer books destroyed, rabbis forbidden to preach, homes raised and property and money confiscated. They should be shown no mercy or kindness, afforded no legal protection, and these, again, quotes, poisonous and venomed worms should be drafted into forced labor or expelled for all time. He also seems to advocate their murder, writing... In quotes, we are at fault in not slaying them. His name is here. He claims that Jewish history was, in quotes again, assailed by much heresy and that Christ swept away the Jewish heresy and goes on to do so, uh, in quotations, as it still does daily before our eyes. He stigmatizes Jewish prayer as being blasphemous and a lie and vilifies Jews in general as being spiritually blind and surely possessed by all devils. And it goes on. Uh, Anti-Semitism, to be sure. How many uh, feel comfortable, agree with that, and say, yeah, that and a lot more. You, you just go ahead and <laughs> nobody's going to raise their hand. And I knew nobody's going to raise their hand. I was brought up in an anti-Semitic household. They weren't that overt, but... Uh, the Jews, they own Hollywood. Uh, that's why all the movies are filth. Uh, the Jews, they're a bunch of rich bankers, and they're corrupt, and that's why society is so bad, blah, 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 blah. All the world's problems were Jewish problems, and I was brought up in that household, and from which I've repented. You say, well, I don't... I'm not an anti-Semitic person. Um, uh, how can I prevent... From being so, like Martin Luther. That's Martin Luther. You mean the guy who invented Lutheranism, the great reformer Martin Luther? Yes. Yes. Most churches believe in what's called replacement theology. And most churches wouldn't be comfortable with that rhetoric. I get that. But we were at Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum, which never could have happened outside of Germany's pastor saying, hey, Adolf, reel it back in. No good. You're not, no. And if they were Christians and preached against that, but many, most, went along because they had in their history Lutheranism. Now, the defenders of Luther will say, well, in his early days, he wasn't like that. He reached out to the Jews in ministry and tried to, tried to save them. That was last three to five years of his life. So, 
<laughs> you mean he didn't finish well? Our prayer is that we finish well. I pray very often, Lord, don't let me do anything that's going to discredit all my years of ministry. Don't let me do anything or say anything that... Our, our boy Martin, he, 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 he fell into an abyss, at least theologically so, concerning Israel. That's all I'm saying. I'm not judging the man's work or his lifetime or what God did or didn't do in his life. But this, this stuff can't be really swept under the carpet. How do we stop ourselves from, from becoming the same thing? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 11. Uh, if you read 9 and 10, uh, it would be very helpful. I don't know. Uh, Romans 11, some people think it's really hard. I don't if you've already built on 9 and 10. Uh, so the questions on Wednesday night, what's Romans 9 all about? Israel. What's Romans 10 all about? Israel. What's Romans 11 all about? Israel. And you can put him in the Israel in the past, Israel in the, uh, last week, Israel today. And this is future Israel and kind of loosely, and that's how Paul puts it together. And that's the answer to the question. I'll give you a homework question and answer already, okay? And you're saying homework, what are you talking about? The Wednesday night groups. If you need to know more, ask me later. Uh, so that's what you need to know uh, that for question number one. That will definitely be question number one. What's Romans all, 11 all about? It's about Israel. It's about the future of Israel. And we're going to learn that now. Let's pray and let's beseech God's blessing on our time in the Word. Father, it's your Word. And you have taken no less than three chapters to defend uh, blasphemies against your holy reputation where people will say, you're not good on your promises. You don't, you don't follow through. You made promises to Abraham, and then you've said a lot of things concerning Israel, and then you've left them high and dry. Well, Lord, we know better. We know better. And we uh, pray that you'd take this opportunity to uh, illumine, to, to teach us, to show us the things you'd have us to know. Uh, concerning you in general, concerning uh, Israel in particular, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so the question comes, like we read Romans chapter 8, uh, what's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Well, I'm going to read it. Because it's, I, I know, I know. We'll get there. I got a lot of content, but we'll get there, okay? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, that's to say Jesus, he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. And what shall we say to these things? Well, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also now maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Look, uh, so the question would naturally come, yeah, Adam, uh, Paul, he wrote the book on uh, security. We get it. If that's true, and if that's true about God, what about Israel? Chapter 9, chapter 10, and now chapter 11. Is God the kind of God who keeps his promises? The answer to that is obviously so, but it's not so obvious when you think about Israel. And I can't, time would forbid me to go back on chapter 9, um, back on chapter 10 and, and go through this whole thing. Let's just jump into chapter 11. I say then, hath God cast away his people? This is the nub of it, the crux of it, if you will. Uh, most churches are replacement theology churches, and it leads to anti-Semitism. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, at least indifference towards Israel. At least, if not active dis dislike. He's going to hit it right out of the gates. Has God cast away his people? Did God make promises and then not keep them? God forbid! That's the answer. Replacement theology. Hey, God forbid! He's not like that. God, God delights in making and keeping promises. When he says, nothing's going to separate you from my love, what he means, and let me paraphrase a little bit here, Nothing's going to separate you from his love. Nothing. Uh, and, and now, what about Israel? Has God cast away his people? No. No, God forbid. And he, he uses, the first piece of evidence he uses is himself. For I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. If God cast away his people, how do you explain me? Good point, Paul. Hard to argue. If God's cast away his people... Well, I'm his people, I'm Israel, I'm Abraham's descendant. So, I, I, right away, I, I replacement theology, not, not for me. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Why ye not what the scripture saith of Elias? Now he's going to use another line of reasoning, another piece of evidence. Hey, how about Elijah? Don't you remember Elijah? Now you know the story after Mount Carmel, right? Dramatic. We were at Carmel a few weeks ago. Uh, not one of my favorite places because they built a monastery up there and there's the guys walking around the robes and you know and it's it's very very catholic and it doesn't look like a place where you don't there's no remnants of the altar there or or anything like that you don't know exactly where it was but mount carmel is mount carmel so the place where the showdown with the worshipers of Baal that happened okay no question about that but there's there's a uh, a statue of Elijah, and he's got his uh, foot on the throat of some unfortunate soul who is either a prophet of Baal or Satan, you know, looking like a person. You remember that picture? And there's a statue of Mary, because, you know, she's very important in the story of Carmel, as we read it in the Old Testament, somehow. Whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. That wasn't my favorite thing, but you, one of the things you can do is you can look over uh, the plain of Jezreel, you, you know it better, Zamageddon. Uh, what a place. Uh, I've got some photographs and stuff, and I'm going to make a PowerPoint presentation and share it here. And I'm working on it, okay? I'm working on it. Because there's a lot of things that you want to see that are very, I think, biblically interesting. 
Um, so you remember the story of Elijah. So he, he, he goes to Mount Horeb, and he's there. It takes him 40 days to get there, and he gets there, and he says, Lord, you might as well kill me. It's just you and me at this point. My ministry's over. There's nobody to, to call to repentance. Just take my life. I'm all done. At this point, God breaks out the world's smallest violin and starts... Uh, We all go through that pity party sometimes. No, God didn't do that. He ministered to him. Like when you pour out your complaint to God and he ministers to you. I, 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 uh, um, uh, Lord, they've killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars. And I am left alone and they seek my life. It's just you and me at this point, God. <laughs> this, I'm just, and they're trying to kill me. Just, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. Take me. What say the answer to God and him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Now, listen. God didn't say, I found 7,000 men. I've reserved to myself or kept 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Hey, I got people you'll know about, Elijah. It's not just you and me. I got 7,000. Not a huge number. It's a fun number to explore a little bit. Seven, the number of completion, number of perfection. But he doesn't get seven men. He gets 7,000 because God does something. He does it in a big way. Only 7,000, though. It's not so many, but it's a remnant. I've, I've kept myself a remnant according to the election of grace. Now, we've got to talk about grace here. I was gracious when I took 7,000 myself. Or kept them. They haven't bowed down to Baal. And they're not likely to because I'm God and guess what? That's not going to happen. Uh, now let's talk about grace because when I grew up in church, grace, if you did religious activities, you, were, you received payment in the form of, I'm using my ditto fingers, graces. So I went to church and I got graces. I said the rosary, but I ain't going to tell you what religion I was brought up in. And I got graces. And so, these Christians would think like that. Well, I, I put money in the offering. I went to church. Uh, I read my Bible this week, and God's showering on payment for all my religious activity. And I deserve it, because I've been really marvelous this week. You don't understand what grace means. You don't, can I define it for us all? Because this is very, very helpful. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. I've kept 7,000, and I've done it because I'm a gracious God. They didn't work. It wasn't their activity that I've kept them as a remnant. It was me being gracious. That's how it works. God is gracious to us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what he wants to bless us with because he's a loving heavenly father. He didn't save me because I did anything. He didn't. He just doesn't. Uh, if I, if I, do, if I what, was somehow in his presence and I could twist his arm and make him do something, I demand right now you give me what I deserve. I'd be in hell in the, before the echo of the words died down. What, what instead? My life is very charmed. It's very, it looks like I wrote the script all myself and I'm the hero in it. I've got, I've got nothing to complain about. 
and much to be very grateful for, including a, a wife who's a lovely and loyal, and any man would be, hey, if you find a wife, you guys, a chance to get some points there. If you find a wife, you find a good thing, and you obtain favor of the Lord, her price is far above rubies. Well, I get that. I understand that. Uh, uh, you guys should be nodding vigorously and saying amen and putting your arm around your wife and all stuff like that. Yeah, he's right, he's right. You know, and uh, why? Because God's gracious. If he gave me what I deserve, I'd be married to Satan's sister or something. Right? Uh, no, he's gracious. You either work for something or you receive it by grace. Those are mutually exclusive. Uh, you can't be kind of pregnant, okay? Now, if somebody says, uh, somebody asks, well, we're trying. Well, that means hopeful, and that means trying. It doesn't mean pregnant. It means, uh, or sadly, maybe somebody's miscarried. That means not pregnant anymore. Sadly, but it is, pregnant is pregnant, and anything that's not pregnant is not pregnant. There's no half pregnant. You see what I'm saying? Even if you're like half term, like you're you know four and a half months long, you're not half pregnant. You're fully pregnant, right? That's how it happens. The moment of conception, pregnant. That's how it works. Uh, this is grace, and and it's either like I say, pregnant or not pregnant. I don't know why I picked that one. It's grace or it's works. It's never both. They're mutually exclusive. Uh, and I just want you to, because he visits there. What then? What then? So what can we say about all this? What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. We talked about that at the end of chapter 9. Uh, you know, we're walking through this world fat, dumb, and happy. Uh, we weren't looking for a Savior, right? And all of a sudden, a Savior shows up. And we think, great, a Savior. It's good. I'm a sinner. We need one. Let's, and we get on a bandwagon. Israel had no time for a Savior. He, Jesus showed up. He was a stumbling block. They're running the race furiously. And all of a sudden, falls out of the sky, the Savior. And they're like, I got a race to run. I got... And to them, Jesus was a stumbling block. This verse saying is the same thing. We've obtained that for which we weren't even looking. We weren't looking for salvation. We weren't looking for a Savior. We weren't looking to know God. We weren't looking to get... And what happened? We found him. We seeketh for that. We found that what we weren't even looking for. But the election, Israel, they have not obtained it. Why? Because remember chapter 10 at the beginning... Brother, my heart's desire and prayer for, to God for Israel that they might be saved. And I bear them record. They have a zeal for God. It's not according to knowledge. Is that important? Yeah, very important. They being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. That's why they didn't see Christ for who he was when he came. Uh, and they were blinded, verse 7 says. Of chapter 11, according as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not hear, and ears that they should not, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, and it's that way unto this day. And by the way, it's that, it's that way unto this day, except there's a remnant. And David's saying, he's prophesying at this time that should come. In verse, uh, in Psalm 69, David saith, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. 
Uh, verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Have they tripped up, slipped, so that they are out permanently? That's kind of the nature of the question. The answer, God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Let me show you how this works. It's like a chess clock. Have you played chess? You don't have to, but you can figure this out. My turn, okay? Uh, and I'm on the clock, and the clock is tick, 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 tick. And let's say I've set it for, we get an hour between moves or whatever it is, me and the person I'm playing with. Okay, I move, boom. Slap the chess clock. Now you're on the clock. Uh, and it's tick, 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 tick. And you're going to make your move in whatever time has elapsed. And if you don't, you forfeit the game, or we take away your birthday, yell at you, or whatever it is. However, the game's played. My turn or your turn, my turn, your turn. This is how it is with Israel and with the church. Okay? Israel had their time. Your turn. And now, and they've stumbled, they've fallen. They're not actively at the place where God wants them to be. Their eyes are darkened. Uh, their table's made a snare, a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. Rather than their fall, their stumbling, their tripping up, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. And there's a reason for that, to provoke them to jealousy. When Jews and Gentiles interact, interact very often Jews say, you know, I, I was at church, and there at a worship service or something like that. Boy, I wish, I wish synagogue was that live. I wish, you know, we had singing. I wish we had joy. I wish we had fellowship. It's very dull. It's very monotonous. It's very religious and they see us and there's joy and there's music and there's fellowship and they how do you you guys don't even you you're, you're johnny come lately we we've been around for four thousand years we know uh, we know the author how come you guys get all the joy and stuff like that and that's part of god's program and it says so right here we're to provoke them to jealousy by the way we saw that now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, they stumble, and what happened? Gospel went everywhere to you and to me. It's the riches of the world. What, what would you rather have than salvation? Would you rather have a million dollars or go to heaven when you die? Ah, uh, million dollars. That's a, that's a paltry amount. Uh, but then I got to burn in hell for all eternity? Ah, uh, thank you, no. Hard pass, right? Most of us would figure that out. Uh, no, the riches of... Their fall, the riches, because now we're on the clock. Uh, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Well, their fullness is when they come back to, and we'll talk about that here, because Paul's going to talk about that here. When they come back to faith in Christ, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. When they come to that place, what then? If, if, the, if you're getting all this blessing from God now, what's it going to look like at that time? What's well, going to look like the kingdom? That's what it's going to look like. Swords in the plowshares, spears in the pruning hooks, neither will they learn war no more. Uh, we're talking about, you know, a, a child playing with uh, uh, lions and cobras and, and neither will they harm or destroy in all my holy mountain. Will there be suffering? Will there be... Uh, famine, will there be? No, every man under his vine, under his fig tree. I can go on and on about the, listen, I know kingdom verses. I, know, I, I tell you, when we were studying that in our eschatology series, I think I spent five or six weeks on the kingdom. I used every verse I know. Uh, 
there's plenty happening. And that's what he's talking about, uh, the riches of the gent- how much more their fullness. So when they come in that place of fullness, God's really going to pour out his, uh, his blessing on the earth. For I speak to you Gentiles, and so much am I, as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. We know that. I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, he's saying Jews, and might save some of them. So he always went, every place he went, and you read this in the book of Acts, he went to the synagogue first, right? Shed, generally they threw him out, then he went to the Gentiles, big revival, happened time and time and time again. Sometimes Jewish people believe, and he's saying, well, if I could get that, that's good, but my ministry is mostly the Gentiles. But he'd go to the synagogue first. Why? Because at least they know there's a creator God. At least they know the Savior's been promised. At least they know something about So I'll start there. And, and usually, you know, he gets stoned or beaten or thrown in prison or a riot happens or whatever. So he goes to the Gentiles and ministry. And people are saved. And lives are changed. And it's glorious and good. Because that's his ministry. That's what, how God is call him what he's called him to do. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, so they cast away and they tripped up, stumbled. If the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, and it is, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Again, we're talking about kingdom age stuff. If the first fruit be holy, and it is, then the lump is also holy. If the root be holy, and it is, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, he's proposing a metaphor here. If some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, has that happened? Yeah, in a very, very real way. Uh, we're on the clock. It's our time. We're going to talk about, look in verse, the end of verse 25, the fullness of the Gentiles. It's the time of the Gentiles right now. Uh, fullness is going to happen at some point. Uh, I would say there's a certain number, but we'll get there. So some of the branches were set aside, broken off. Why? They weren't faithful. They weren't producing. And God said, I'll, I'll graft in something that'll produce. I want a good harvest. And he grafted in you and me. Amazing. He's an amazing God. Because you're awesome? No, because he's gracious. Awesome. Well, I wasn't grafted in. That ain't fair. We'll come up later. We'll pray. You'll get saved. How fair do you want to make it? I mean, (laughs) whosoever will. That's always the, the caveat of the new time, the time that we're in. You just, all you have to do is be willing. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Why would you boast? People do it all the time with replacement theology. Yeah, well, they weren't no good, and they were this and that. That's why God broke them off, and that's why he's got me, thumbs under the suspenders, who look at how awesome I am. What are you boasting about? What are you, you don't understand anything about God. That's a ridiculous boast. Uh, you're here by grace. 
uh, and God set them aside for time. He's got a future plan. We'll read about that if I get moving. Um, and we're grafted in. To what? Abraham, if I can put it that way, to God's dealings with people. And the promises that are Abraham's devolve to us in a very large sense. I understand that part about replacement theology. What God promised in Abraham, many of those things, he said, I'm going to, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations, and you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Galatians chapter 3, anybody? And we've been there before, and we've seen it. God's blessings, are many, very many of them to us, are to us. Uh, so we are we're partaking of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. These aren't Gentile scriptures, okay? The history of the world and God's dealing with from a Gentile perspective. The prophets of old aren't Gentile prophets. Moses wasn't a Gentile. When Jesus came, he wasn't Greek. He was in the Roman Empire, but you can trace his lineage right back to the tribe of Judah, from Jacob, from Isaac, from Abraham, okay? Uh, Jesus, very Semitic. <laughs> I don't think there's any, anyone debating that. So don't boast against the, the branches. Why would you? If you boast, if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Then will thou say, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. So his I boast that way. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. Why would you not be high-minded? Because God resists the proud only always. I know this better than I know anything. I have been, and sometimes shamefully I have to say, I'm still an arrogant, much more arrogant than I want to be person. And you think I'd learn it. This, <laughs> I'm 63 years old. I think I'd learn a few things. I have learned this, but I don't always apply it all the time. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. We know how to humble ourselves. We know how to humble ourselves. Will God show up? Will he, will he exalt the humble? Yeah. Will he resist the proud? Yeah, only always. Uh, so we will humble ourselves, or God will do it for us. Uh, I'd rather do it myself. Thank you very much, God. I've been the receiving, on the receiving end of your humbling, and it's, it's never fun. It's good. I mean, we learn from it, but it's not pleasant, okay? Uh, so why would you want to uh, be all high-minded? But fear, rather. Why? Because if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Now, someone is saying... Ah, see, you can lose your salvation. There it is. It's right there. Adam, you cannot deny it's right there. Yeah, I can deny it. He's not talking about salvation at all. He's talking about setting aside. Have you ever been set aside for a season because you weren't where God wanted you to be in compliance? You were involved in sin. You were backslidden. You weren't doing what God wanted you to do. You were giving yourself off to a season of just sowing your wild oats, praying that there wouldn't be any harvest. But you knew better, and you were really a child of God, and God set you aside. He's not blessing ministry. He's not blessing your life. He's, you're, you're, you and him are behind the woodshed, and he is explaining his plan a little more clearly. Has that ever been you? Did you lose your salvation? No, because you are sons. He disciplines us. That's what Romans chapter 12 is all about. He talks about, no, you've received discipline because you are sons. He, he didn't... 
I don't discipline other people's children. Well, we've, we've talked about that. Me and Sue's talked about spanking kids who parents don't believe in that. It's a ministry we would perform for you uh, for a small fee. Uh, no, 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 no. It's a joke. It's a joke. We wouldn't spank anyone else's children. Uh, you'll talk to my son, Michael. We didn't spank our own children all that much. They needed it a few times. Uh, um, Mike's a good son. You, you know, I, he, by and large, did pretty good. He, but I'm, I'm f- a few times, she grabbed the spoon, the wooden spoon, chased him around, menacing him. And, and I'm sure he did something that probably he had to be corrected about. Um, God will set you aside so you lose your salvation. Well, it, he's writing this in a passage where he's trying to say, no, God's faithful to his promises. So why would you go there with that? Why would you automatically make it about salvation? About Oh, see? So this is your theology. Can I say it for you as far as I'm understanding it? I was born again, but then I lost it because I was, wasn't very faithful. But now I got back on board and I'm born again again. And, but I'm not going to be faithful again, so now I lost it again. But now I'm, I'm, I'm on fire. I saw the movie last night. I'm like, I want to be part of. And so you kind of all raise yourself and you repented. Now you're born again, again, again. And your message is this. Uh, I got it and you should want it. Well, I didn't have it, but I plan on getting it back. And now that I get it back and you should want what I have and I hope you can maintain it once you get it. That's good news, huh? So if you die during one of the down cycles, hmm. I never, I never doubt God's promise. I got in believing that he loved me and that he could save me. And I stay connected with him believing that he loves me and he can keep me. And if your message to me is trust in him less, that's going to fall on deaf ears. If there's anything I have to do to maintain, I'm sorry, no deal, no deal. I know who I am, no deal. Don't be high-minded, fear. If God spare not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. I fear God, I really do. And if you fear him right, like the Bible says, you won't fear anybody else or anything else. Um, Behold the goodness and severity of God. And I know both of these. On them which fell, severity. But toward thee, me, you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise thou all shall be cut off, not usable. You remember the, uh, the vine and the branches, John 15. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, not still unbelief means belief, uh, they shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou were cut out of the olive tree, which is uh, wild by nature, so we were cut out of a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature. People say that you can't do that. You can't take a branch from a wild olive tree and, and graft it into a good olive tree and have it produce anything. I don't know. I'm not a, is it horticulture? Is that what it is? I'm not a plant guy. By the way, somebody knows something about trees. I got an apple tree that needs some attention. But anyway, that's time for another time. It, they say this can't be done. I know. <laughs> I, I think I know. It's contrary to nature. Can God do things that are contrary to nature? Yeah, we're the guys who believe in floating axe heads. 
and people being swallowed by great fishes or whales or people walking on water. Hello, anybody? God is amazing and can do anything. He set up the laws of nature. He doesn't have to obey them. But let's keep moving. Uh, it's again that, that he can do that because it's natural. He did it with you and it's unnatural. They can be grafted back into their own olive tree. I would not, brethren, have you ignorant. I think it's eight times in the New Testament God, said, uh, God says in his word, I don't want you ignorant about a certain thing. It always seems to me it's the things that the church is most ignorant about. And he gives us a signal. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. The majority of Christendom is believes in replacement theology. If it was some obscure corner of Amos, I say, hey, talk, what's Amos about? You say, I don't know. Even a lot of pastors can't, unless they just taught it and just it's fresh in their mind, wouldn't know what Amos was about. Habakkuk. So you're in one of the minors or something, and I say, hey, what's, uh, and you say, it's in Romans. It's the book of Romans, 9, 10, 11. I think it, Sean was telling me last week, he's, was it a commentary you're reading? Or it, was, it went from chapter 8 to chapter 12. He didn't make any pretense. He skipped over three chapters because it wasn't where he was coming from. And he skipped up. God, help us. Don't skip over. I don't care if you're in a group that doesn't believe. You should not be in that group. You shouldn't be an anti-Semite. You shouldn't believe in replacement theology. I don't want you ignorant about it. God says, and by the way, I agree. God, I don't want you ignorant about this. I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit. Blindness in part, because there's still a believing remnant, blindness in part has happened to Israel until, and there's an untilness to this, the chess clock, remember? Our turn, but there's going to be a, a, a trumpet blast. Somebody slap that button on your way out. Don't worry, God will do it. And it's your turn again. What's that look like? Well, I'm going to give you a large hint. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. You would call it the great tribulation. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. I can prove that beyond a shadow of anyone's doubt. Again, we, we were months on those subjects back when we were talking about our eschatology class. Eschatology, study of last things. It's only until the fullness of the Gentiles be brought in. Is there a number God's looking for? Yes, I think so. Remember, you think it's arbitrary. Listen, whosoever will. But there's a last whosoever will. God says, up, finished. Jesus, go get him. Go get your bride. And we can read all about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, and again, another section which says, I don't want you ignorant on these concerning, concerning those who have fallen asleep. I can't go there. I won't come back. I don't want you ignorant about this. It's only until the fullness of the Gentiles. Is there an exact number? Well, there's an exact number in Isaiah's day, in uh, Elijah's day. It wasn't 6,999. It was 7,000. I know their names. I know their email addresses. I know their social security numbers. I know where they live. I know their children. I know their parents. I know all about them. There's 7,000 of them. There's not 7,001. There's not 6,998 and another two who are coming later. There's 7,000. God's very precise about this. I think there's a precise number. And by the way, you, you want to get in on this. You want to get in on this. I, after the day after the rapture, I believe a lot of people get saved. We've been talking loud and long about this to a lot of people we know. I think a lot of people will get saved. Will they be part of the bride? Oh no, that ship has sailed. Will they be saved? Yeah. Yeah. Will they go to heaven eventually? 
Yeah, it's going to be a rough road, too. Uh, why don't they just get saved now? I don't know. But the, you want to get in on this. Uh, being part of the bride is it's like nothing else. I just say, it's a blessing for Susie to be my bride. It's not a blessing for anybody else. It's a blessing for her, right? But we're not talking about me. We're talking about Jesus Christ. It'd be a blessing to be his bride. Yeah. He, he said something. I want you to understand this. Yeah, I got time. We'll, we'll finish. We'll finish. He said about John, no greater man has ever been born of woman, excepting himself, of course, except John the Baptist. He didn't, the echo of his words hadn't even died down. He goes on to say, yeah, but greater is he that is in the kingdom than, he that is, than, than John. Wait, what? He's the greatest ever? But there's greater? Yeah, you and me. I ain't no John the Baptist. Positionally. Remember, John was asked, who are you? The friend of the bridegroom. In our vernacular, I'm the best man. Is he the bride? No. How do we know? Because he died before Acts chapter 2 when the church was born. He was the best man. He was a great man. He was a prophet. He was Jesus' cousin. He was awesome in every way, and he wasn't the bride. Jesus says, yeah, John, man, John's got it going on. Yeah, crazy men out there eating wild honey and locusts and prophesying, calling, screaming to people to repent. He is the man. He's prophesied in the Old Testament. He's incredible. Oh, by the way, you're in a better position if you're my bride than the bridegroom. We we had a best man as such. We eloped, and I don't even know his name. It's on my marriage certificate but he's not a, he's a minor player in the whole in our whole life right um i didn't confuse him and you on honeymoon time a blessing to everybody okay he was happy she was it's just and jesus is saying no my bride is, is a really and there's a fullness there's a number there's a there's a there's a tally that only god knows and he's keeping and when the fullness of the Gentiles become in, it's all over. Now it's the time of Jacob's trouble. Now the clock switches. Now it's back to Israel. And so, all Israel shall be saved. All Israel shall be saved. Now he's not saying every Israelite who was ever born shall be saved. He's talking about Israel who's alive at that time. I show you this, and again, this is something we talked about at length. Uh, verse nine of chapter uh, Zechariah, chapter twelve, verse nine. You can follow. I'll just read it. It shall come to pass in that day. Now, in that day, that day is code words for eschatological events. We prove that beyond any shadow of any doubt in our eschatology series. Um, and by the way, this is available online, I'm pretty sure. We, we were about a year. We were, on Sunday mornings, we'd teach it through the book of the Revelation. Wednesdays, we're kind of supporting it with all the Old Testament scriptures and all things that, like the Olivet Discourse and things like that, of the eschatology series. It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. David and the house of David shall look upon me whom they pierced. When did Israel pierce God? Well, 
about 2,000 years ago on a wooden cross. And, uh, uh, so they are the Christ killers. No, stop. No, stop. You're, no, no. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was, he, was, he, was, he was pierced for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of uh, our peace was upon him. Okay? Who sent Jesus to the cross? Well, the Romans did. Israel didn't even do crucifixion. Yeah, the Romans had a part in that. Uh, well, the, the Jews, they did. They delivered him to Pilate. Yeah, they were playing out their part in the little vignette. This, the real story of who crucified was Christ it was you and me by our sins. Okay? So we don't have to go any farther than that to find out. But they pierced him like we pierced him, and they're going to look upon him who they pierced. God's coming back. With a, he's going to put out this hand to shake hands with these people who have been against him, and they're going to find it nail-pierced. It's going to be a rude awakening, but a, a good day. You know, uh, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They'll look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day eschatology. There shall be a great morning in Jerusalem as the morning of Hadarimon in the valley of Megiddo, and the land shall mourn every family apart and the family of the house of David apart and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart and their wives apart. What are they uh, grieving for? Because him who they pierced. All the families remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. So this is the repentance. What happens? God shows up. In that day, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, there shall be a fountain open in the house of David to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for it uncleanness. And it goes on and talk about how God gets rid of their gods, God gets rid of their prophets, and he goes on to establish uh, Israel. So Israel shall be saved. As it is written, they shall come out of Zion, the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That's Psalm 147. Uh, many places in the Old Testament talks about God's move among his people, saving them all. So we're on the clock, they're going to be on the clock. And at the time when Jesus comes back, all Israel will be saved. It says so here, and it says so much supporting scripture in the Old Testament. This is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. Has he changed his mind? Has he turned his back on Israel? They're not on the clock right now, but he's got a plan for them, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Are you surprised to see that verse there? Because you talk with somebody, right? And they're like Pentecostal and they're demeanor and stuff like this and they speak in tongues by the way i'm not against that even a little bit uh but the guy's living with his girlfriend and he's taking drugs and he's not really involved with things a lot but he can still speak in tongues and he'll tell you he can because the gifts and callings of god with re- without repentance <laughs> that's not what that verse is talking about look at the context i've called abraham and I haven't changed my mind about Israel. Okay, they're not being faithful. So I made a promise. I'm going to keep my promise. I haven't, God, God doesn't change his mind. 
Uh, that's what you have to know. Have saved you. You're going to be part of my forever family. You're born again. You're born into my, into my, into my family. Yeah, but I haven't been real faithful. Like, I haven't changed my mind. He says, I don't, I don't. It's not like he didn't look down time and say, oh, I, I'm going to save Adam. And then I stopped misbehaving. Oh, I got a lemon. I can't believe it. I don't, and now I've promised him. Oh, Eve, what am I going to do? What kind of God do you guys believe in? I, I, he, not you, but I mean, there's people on the, who'll hear this on the radio later. How, how do you believe in that God? A God who's kind of fickle. He changes his mind. He, 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 no, 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 no. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. I don't change my mind on this. Ye in times past have not believed God. Ye have now obtained mercy because of their unbelief. And now you're on the clock, right? Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. God's got a future plan. God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. God's got a plan. He hasn't changed his mind. <clears throat> what are we going to say to this? What does Paul say to this? He breaks out in doxology here. You know doxology. You just, you've done this. Oh, you be, might not be as articulate as Paul, but you've done Oh, praise you, God. You're so... Uh, when God shows up and blows your mind, isn't that... When you hear about the salvation of somebody you've been praying for for a long time, or the healing, or God moving in a certain situation, or you just get moved, you just, God, God, you're so... And usually I lose my <laughs> ability to articulate. Uh, Paul doesn't. He's, oh, God has concluded them all in unbelief. Why? That he might have mercy upon all of them. He's going to save every one of them. At the time Jesus comes back, at that time, those who have lived through the time of Jacob's trouble, what's he doing? He's trying to break their will. He's trying to get them into a corner where they have to cry out to him. Will they? He, they will. And there's much scripture on that. And Paul concludes by saying, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. People come and they ask me questions. You know, why does God stop? Stop. Don't even finish the question. Why God? I, I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm just a guy who gets saved. I, I, I know God and I love the Lord and his ways are so far above my tiny little pea brain. I don't, I don't understand. I've come to the place where I trust him. What are you going through today? What's, what are you struggling with? There's an area of your life that's really a big problem. And you, you're trying hard to figure it out. Look, give up. Lord, I got this situation. Can you handle it? I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm in over my skis. I, I can't fix it. I can't figure it out. Will he help? He's very helpful. He loves you. I've determined you'll either pray about it or you'll worry about it. Worry will take away years off your life. Prayer will add years. Roll all your cares on him because he cares for you. His ways are past finding out. I don't know anything. I don't, I, I, he's God. He's awesome. He loves us. I know that. Uh, you're going through a struggle. Hey, we'll pray. 
But you come up, we'll pray, okay? It'd be, that's all I got. Now, you ask the why question, please. I, I, I tap out really quick on that, okay? His ways of past finding out who's known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counsel. You know, he comes to me very often. He says, Adam, I'm really struggling with this. Will you help me out? Never. <laughs> Stop. That's ridiculous. Not you either. Who's been his counselor? We try to counsel him. Lord, you know, if I were you, I'd do it this way. I don't know, you know, I'm your pastor, and if people see me struggling, they're going to believe that you're not very faithful, and yeah, don't try to counsel him. We do with our prayers sometimes, try to nudge him in a certain direction, right? That's fine. It's honest. Be, you can be honest with God. That's very fine. But at the end of the day, he's God, and we are so not. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counsel? Who has first given of him that, he shall, that it shall be recompensed unto him again? God was struggling. I loaned him some money. Now I'm getting blessed financially. How ridiculous are you? What a, what a silly statement that is, right? That's, that's just not even worth looking into. Who has given him... And shall be recompensed on him again. God's no man's debtor. You should know that about God. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God's got a plan for Israel. A future plan. Don't, don't be anti-Semitic. Don't buy into the rhetoric. Don't be a replacement theologian. I've got planned for your life too. Oh, it's a good plan. Um, I talk to people's unbelievers sometimes. I say, "What are you holding on to? It's so awesome. It's so wonderful." I never have a, but they grab onto it like it's something. I never figured that out. Uh, he's got his plan for me is better than my plan for me by magnitudes. By I can't even give you a number a lot better. Uh, where would I be outside of faith in Jesus Christ? Divorced, right? We, we've said that a lot of times. Uh, maybe penniless, maybe on drugs, maybe in a gutter. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe successful, uh, very wealthy, and on my way to hell. No deal. Uh, God's got a great plan for your life. Um, Glory to him. Okay, let's stand. Let's. I've gone over two minutes. I want you, I want you to just indulge me with forgiveness, okay? It would be good. Our worship team is going to come. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray this doxology. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are your judgments and your ways past finding out. Who has known your mind, Lord? Who has been your counselor? Who has first given to you that shall be recompensed unto him again? For of you, through you, and to you are all things to whom be glory forever. Now may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.